0: hot off the grill bitch it's my dad's a chef presented by oliver's oranges some pulp oliver's oranges i'm your host kyle alongside bill and our dads are chefs we know what we're talking about bill how are you doing
1: i am doing great And ladies and gentlemen, we are so happy to bring you our second interview in the My Dads, A Chef podcast universe. And it is with Lauren Coulter of Biscuit Belly. And it was a very fun interview. Lauren was a blast to have on. She's an extremely insightful woman, very driven. Her and her husband, both very driven people, have that entrepreneur mindset.
0: Yeah, it was cool because you're kind of not getting the chef perspective here. It's kind of a more business side, entrepreneurial aspect, like, as you said, kind of dive into you know how they started, their franchising and whatnot. And it's interesting to see because they're a brunch place or breakfast place and they're not open all hours of the day and whatnot. So it was pretty cool. And it, it, it led me to think to ask you, what is your favorite brunch spot?
1: For me, my favorite brunch spot is in Haverhill, Massachusetts, the hidden pig, which I'm sure you are also very familiar with.
0: I'm a big fan of the pig. What's your favorite part about the pig? Uh,
1: I might have to say the donuts. Donuts are pretty damn good. If yeah. never had their blueberry donut, would highly yeah, recommend.
0: That, that's what sold us. That is what sold us. That's Yeah, me and Bill went to dinner one night, and... I had been there a few times. I never got dessert there or anything like that. And Bill's like, "Yo, they got donuts." And I was like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "They got these blueberry donuts." And if you listen to the last pod, I'm a big blueberry donut guy, so I was just sold off the jump of Bill wanting to try these donuts. And these donuts come and they're glazed in this nice blueberry sauce, and they got you know rich organic blueberries just like toppled all over them, and they're pretty good. Not gonna lie, that that's what sold me. And Big fan of the pig. They got some good bacon plates, good trays, uh good burger place too. I mean, it's a it's me, it's a meat concept, give and take. It's called the hidden pig. But it's awesome. You know, they have mimosa flights now or um towers. Mimosa I do. Towers. I yeah. do. And if
1: you guys follow us on Instagram at my chef pod or Twitter at my chef pod, you guys would have seen that. And I think that's really cool. I have never had a mimosa tower before. So it's something I want to try.
0: Yeah. Um, another brunch place that I'm a big fan of, and I was a big fan of in college, actually. They have one in Boston, and this one I went to was in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. It's called the Friendly Toast. You ever been on the Friendly Toast? I have not, but I've heard very good things about it. It's very good. They have mimosas and they have flights, and they're really good. And actually, and they're open. I believe until like three or four o'clock. I could be wrong. But I mean, I've only showed up there when I was like 1130 after a phenomenal Saturday night. You know, they have like signature brunch stuff. They have a whole side of the menu for Benedict, for Benny's and stuff, which is really good. Um, They have a whole burger bar too, which is unique for like a breakfast place or a brunch place. But the Friendly Toast is honestly, that's where it's at. Well, with that, we're going to take you guys into our interview with Lauren. Uh, as we said, she is the director of franchise and sales development for Biscuit Belly. Biscuit Belly is a franchised breakfast spot down here where I'm around right now in Louisville. They have a few locations in Louisville, uh, opening up one in Evansville, Indiana, and have prospective locations for the near future. So, and she brings in some good energy on the pod, good vibes. So, Without further ado, we give you our interview with Lauren Coulter. All right, we now welcome on a very special guest. Uh, Is Lauren Coulter. She is the Director of Franchise and Sales Development for Biscuit Belly. Lauren, how is your Thursday going?
2: Hey, it's going really well, actually. Very excited to be here. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah. Glad to have you on. So I think to jump right into it, we just want to get a feel for how Biscuit Belly came about. How'd you guys start?
2: Sure. No problem. So Biscuit Belly has been a, a, a while ways in the works. Um, we started out with open, well, my husband and I are both pharmacists by training. So we, um, came to Louisville, both working in different facets of pharmacy, decided that we would open up a little business on the side and opened up a paint and drink place. So it was called Town art. Art. You show up, you paint, you go home. It's just a fun little experience more than anything. And it did really well here. We were the first like that to market here. Quickly, though, we realized this is a fad, you know, in two, two and a half years, three years, it's probably going to, you know, there's only so many fleur-de-lis that the city needs to paint. And so we um, decided to exit it and sold it. And then, you know, we're sitting on a little bucket of cash for the first time in our lives, and we're trying to figure out what to do with it, and decided that we would get into the restaurant space. So we opened up a place called Luvino we it was a full service restaurant, wine bar, 60, 70 wines by the glass. We opened up the first one on Bardstown Road, the second one in Douglas Hills, so just across town in Middletown. And then ultimately expanded that to five locations. So two more in Indianapolis area and one in Cincinnati. It was a lot of fun and uh We learned a lot as this was really our first foray into the restaurant industry. And so during all of this time, though, my husband is saying to me, we should open a biscuit place. We should open a biscuit place. And I'm like, Chad, nobody's going to want that. Like, we're from Georgia. Nobody else is going to be into this. And then, of course, we start seeing the out popping up of, we were in Oregon, we went to Pine State Biscuit Company, Biscuit Head, Biscuit Love, like some of these other concepts that are more local-esque in Asheville or Nashville. And of course, begrudgingly, I'm saying, dang it, you're right, of course. So that's really when we started thinking through, okay, let's, let's do this. So we spent a lot of time prior to opening, you know, developing the name and the branding and the color and the look. And Really, I think the thing that we did different with Biscuit Belly from Lubino was with Lubino, everything was very like, okay, let's just see where this takes us. Okay, we'll do one more. Okay. And with Biscuit Belly, everything has been very intentional. So, you know, we've gone in with an idea that we've really shaped before. Then we executed it instead of it necessarily all being executed on the fly. So uh, it's been a fun experience, but... Pretty much after, I think it was between store four and five of Louvino, we opened up Biscuit Belly New It did well, opened up the second one in St. Matthews about six months later. And then obviously COVID happened. We are well on our way of opening up a third one. COVID happened. But we quickly realized that we needed to kind of pick our lane. You know, if we wanted to grow Biscuit Belly, We needed to Um, be able to focus 130% on it. And so to do that, we decided that it would be best to exit Rubio. So we sold that in December of last year. And while it was sad, um, I think it was the right move for us. So here we are. (laughs) We have four stores open, three in the local wanted Evansville, Indiana. And then we have 20 in development through the franchise arm um our first franchise store is officially under construction it'll be opening in january you should have another another two to three coming online from the franchise side in 2022 as well hopefully another corporate store coming on as well so yeah kind of see where this takes us
1: wow and that's extremely impressive. I mean, it's no doubt that, you know, both you and Chad are really, you know, entrepreneurial people, very hungry, ready to go. So what is it like to, you know, take a lot of these concepts, you know, the things that you start out, you know, one, one restaurant, and then you turn it into this whole big franchise of restaurants.
2: It's definitely a lot of work. It's definitely a lot of time and energy and, you know, investing, not just dollars, but I think in finding the right people, I think that that comes in so many realms. Like, obviously, at the store level, who you interface with, you know, when you come in is important, but then also their leaders and the folks who are doing our training and our product, you know, food development and our marketing. And we want to all have a cohesive voice. And so I think we've done a really good job of like, Finding those people and pulling them in, and then pushing them out and saying, you know, just go do the fly fly, you know, do it well. So, um, and then it's just a lot of time and energy figuring out how do we streamline processes, how do we make things easier. I think that with just four stores, we're doing a good job of really over, over analyzing a lot of that now so that we aren't in a pickle when we have like 40 or 50 stores. All
0: right, that's interesting. So the last interview we had or last person we had on, he was a butcher. So he was technically a chef per se, right? So I find it interesting that we have a person like you on as like a business development franchisee representative um and me being a business major and i'm currently you know studying econ in grad school i had to ask you know all the nerdy biz- yeah right it's <laughs>
2: oh it's so hard to oh, me not- like all the math <laughs> like financial all all the more financial so- uh, classes made sense except econ is like so generalize, you know, well, if this happens, what could happen? I'm like, no, I want a number. I like to find
0: the number. Just the (laughs) rationalization on everything. I, I mean, I do it for the piece of paper for lack of a better term. I mean, but anyway, so I have to ask you like, who is essentially your target audience and Going off of that, who do you guys compete with ar- around your industry? And if there's like a specific market share within your industry as well, and where you guys stand as a firm between your competitors and such.
2: From a customer perspective, like a store level customer perspective. I mean, I think the beauty of biscovelli is that we really can attract all ages and stages. You know, we have women bringing their kids in. We have, uh, grandparents coming in with grandchildren um, i think that our sweet spot is probably in the 30 40 50 age range you know people who are probably seeing what we're doing on instagram or you know through other social channels and coming in and are willing to pay a premium for quality food and are not you know they recognize that this is not three Bacon and cheeses for three thirty-three. This is a a, a, you know, a much better product that you're getting, and I know you know. I'd like to say in my generation, definitely in your generation, people are willing to spend money on experiences over things, and I think this is perfectly evident in in what biscuit belly is and and what we do. We are fast casual, but. So the experience of people coming in, you know, we we want it to be more than they would get at a McDonald's. We want to give them that full service experience, despite it being a fast casual concept. Um, From a competitive landscape, I think it's interesting, you know, generally speaking, our... Our customer for the franchising side is different than obviously the consumer side. So we are looking for people who are multi-unit restaurant operators already, who know what they're doing, who really their experience we can leverage to make our system even better. So everyone that we brought on board you know, our first group owns 30 kfc's and 10 long john silvers our second groups and like, 10 or 12 different franchise concepts uh, third group saying there, are you know multiple things all different sorts of restaurants so um, i'm excited about that and i think from a competitive perspective when we are trying to find those people some of the cool things about biscuit that other restaurant concepts don't have is you know, we we close at two or we close at three so you can actually have some yeah, form of a, a life. Generally speaking, you know, we don't deal with a lot of the things that some of the full service nightlife, restaurant tours deal with. Some of the things that maybe we dealt with, some at you know, um, just if you, you know, anyone that's coming to work at Biscuit Billy, anyone that can be up and perky at 7.30 in the morning is generally like a good human, I think. And um, And so we've done well there from a competitive perspective too just from like the consumer side i mean i would say something like maple street biscuit is the one obvious to us because there's one here um i think that where we level up is the experience that they get that a customer gets over something like a maple street um i feel like a lot of the other concepts out there are very you know, you order, and then you sit down, and then you have to go pick up your drink and sit back down, go pick up your food and sit back down, and they're yelling, and it's just a loud, kind of wild time, whereas, you know, once you order at Biscabella and you sit down, we do everything else for you, so we wanted to have that upscale, you know, feeling, and also, we're really <laughs> lucky, like here in Louisville, people tip really well, they tip our teams really well, and I think that at least when I go to a place, if I'm tipping really well, you know, I kind of expect there'd be a level of experience to a degree. So, um, that's been, that's really cool to see. And, and I think our teams do a good job of then touching the table making sure everybody's happy. Um, any issues, you know, we want to alleviate before the person leaves. So yeah.
0: Nice. That kind of ties into my next question then. So I don't know if you've seen this movie or not, but one of my favorite movies is The Founder.
2: Somebody yeah. just told me about this movie. Oh, when, really? It was today, Thursday. I think on Tuesday, somebody was like, you've got to
0: watch this movie. You have to watch <laughs> it. So I feel like,
2: <laughs> yes,
1: okay. It's
0: such a good movie. It's, a, it's basically how the guy stole McDonald's. It's, it's, yes. it's essentially what it is. Yes, crazy. Um, so the big thing I took out of that movie is, and you mentioned this, the good side and the bad side of franchising. And that's one of the main components of the movie. I don't want to spoil it for you. I've seen the side of where people don't want to franchise. They want to stay local. They want to keep everything, you know, close into a radius or where people just want to spread it out as far as they can. So what influenced you guys to really franchise and really kind of expand and really kind of start – Growing your radius.
2: That was definitely a process. We had to really decide is this something that we want to do? Like, do we want to raise a bunch of money and go out and open up all these stores ourselves? Um, Or do we want to go down the franchising path? And I think part of the reason that we chose franchising is because we are so new in some way to this space. I think that, you know, being able to leverage their ideas and their information and kind of you know what's worked in other organizations and what hasn't, I think that's really important. We know there's a lot that we don't know. And so uh, being really open about that and honest, oh, I think yeah, is important. Oh, yeah. The other thing that I think is important about, you know, the franchise space specifically is it does allow, it's an avenue for you to grow with people who are your local people. So, like if Lauren and Chad go and open 30 restaurants in cities that nobody knows us, that we don't do anything in that community, it doesn't mean anything. But if Missy Moon in Atlanta, who is at all of the high school games, who is, you know, giving out food everywhere she goes, people know her and they trust her. And so I think franchising, people forget that that does give and avenue for like, the community piece to have that individual be engaged in the community as part of their system.
1: So one of the things you were talking about is kind of just not knowing kind of what you're getting yourself into. And I know, especially in a still going on slash post-COVID world, starting a business is probably one of the hardest things somebody can do. What we wanted to ask is, what would you say to somebody who's afraid to take that leap of faith?
2: It's a great question. I think, you know, definitely doing your research and trying your best to figure out, is this a viable product? I mean, I love jumping out, you know, going out into trying new things, but also we have to be aware that there are things that people aren't going to buy and things that people aren't going to do. And so, you know, I, I thought like the act storing thing was a little odd, but it's still like an experience and something people wanna do and we see it everywhere. So I think definitely one of the first things that we learned was getting that customer feedback before you're even official. So, you know, asking customers, what, what do you think of this product or the service and how much are you willing to pay for it um, can be very eye-opening. And so I would say that's a big piece of it, but then also really recognize that you don't know everything. And engaging with people in your community, Louisville, for instance, is a really robust, I think, and strong, you know, startup system, and getting engaged with those people can really help. Um, It can help from a financial perspective, it can help from a, just like an oversight and information perspective, and I think that's really key. A lot of times, even if something isn't, you know, you start doing something, and then you have to change over time, you know you can still do great things i loved um what was it the i saw a billboard it was like netflix it was like you should do it we want sold dvds or something like we were running dvds at a store or something like that and i thought that's such a good little mantra like yes you can be anything but people got to want to buy it and people or they have to want to do it you know
1: it makes sense and i i know Going back to a previous interview you had done, you had said to not get you started on Yelp reviews, but we kind of want to get you started on Yelp reviews. (laughs) Which Uh, one was that? There's uh, been so many. I (laughs) I don't remember exactly which one it was, but, you know, so what what we want to ask is what are some good business practices for a restaurateur or just a restaurant in general to, you know, ensure that they get the right feedback, ensure that they can continue to get those five-star ratings?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I think technology has come so far now and we're actually starting to use this program that can, okay, actually, let me step back and answer this in two ways. There is no replacement for like touching a table, talking to customers and being engaged with them at the store. How many times do you maybe have a bad experience, you don't eat something and then somebody walks by and says, is everything okay? And if you say, I did not love this, those people, yeah. like as a restaurant for a person, we want for you to be happy 100%. We want you to leave happy, um, and you're not going to like everything you know on a menu, and that's okay. But being willing to have that discussion in the moment, I think, is super important. Separately from that, though, you know, technology gives us ways where now we can see, you know, when you've come to Bisco Valley, and within 30 minutes, I can send you a text message and say, hey, how was your experience? And if you say five-star, then I can route you to me a good review. And if you say, hey, eh, then I can route it to my manager to try to take care of it, try to fix the situation for next time so that the customer is heard, but you haven't left that one-star review yet. For people like us, I mean, my husband will sit every night and, like, looks at the reviews and it, it's so frustrating because it's like anything else in life, you know, 20 compliments and one negative and you only focus on the negative. So, um, you know, people like us really actually care. We actually read them and respond to them. And it's not just like a bot in the background. You know, it's literally my husband taking time away from his family to respond to that. I think that's just, you know, generally, I angst, <laughs> anger <laughs> flashes forward.
0: <laughs> I could imagine. I used to, I used to work at a bar and I'd read the Yelp reviews at our bar. And like the owner would just like rip people if they gave a bad review and stuff like that. I'm like, dude, yeah. two steps back, bro. You got to kind of balance it out and like a yeah. kind of happy medium there. So it's really hard, yeah. but so as I've told you, I'm a big fan of biscuit belly. Um, Thank you. and I've noticed a lot of cool stuff on your menu. That I find interesting with biscuit belly, and we're all about food on the pod here, so we figured we ask you about some menu items. Like, like yes. for instance, I I dried like three examples for your like your appetizers your, for the table section. Mm-hmm. You had fried green tomatoes, mm-hmm. biscuit sandwiches, which this is my personal favorite. That's why I put it on here. The biscuit brisket. Yep. And then the other belly pleasures be the preline par preline parfait. Am I pronouncing praline. that right? And
2: birthday,
0: yeah. It's veggie and gluten free, so you kind of have something for everybody here while staying unique and creative at the same time. So, mm-hmm. what, co- what what went into your menu concepts, and what are like your favorite aspects about it?
2: I mean, I love that it's chef driven and that so much of it is really quality products over just you know things that you can get mega in a bag somewhere. Let's see, you mentioned the fried green tomatoes; they're delicious, and I just think again, the intentionality around biscuit belly, um, staying true to kind of the Southern flair of who we are, you know, fried green tomatoes to me are just like all, you know, ultimate Southern and they're just so delicious. We house make the ranch that goes with that. It's delicious. <laughs> um, and so that's a, to me, a really fun one. And the menu has evolved over time. I mean, we've We, you know, the menu that you see today is different than the menu when we first opened. There's a lot of things that are still on it, but we've spent time whittling it down, you know, really doing menu analysis of what items are we bringing in for just one menu item? Um, How well does that menu item do? Should we take it off? And it's kind of like optimizing our menu in many ways, making sure that we can, you know, cross-utilize products is really important. So the biscuit sandwiches that you mentioned, you know, the brisket, biscuit, people or biscuit, brisket. People love our brisket. It is smoked in-house. It is just so flaky. The the other item that has a brisket on it is the Benny, I believe. Yes, the Benny. And people love that plate. It's got poached eggs and some brisket in the middle. And it's more of like a a lighter, if you will, a lighter item. But people love it. Um, The brisket is a huge hit, especially for people who just don't love fried chicken. Uh, Let's see. Yeah, the Praline Parfait was our attempt to have something uh, healthy. Uh, but, and also to your point, the veggie gluten-free, you know, all of our sandwiches can be made with tofu, so we can make them vegetarian. We also have a mushroom gravy that's vegetarian that is awesome. It's so good. Um, and, you know, vegan, probably, I don't have anything for a vegan here, but, uh, we try our, they can have black, like, no, I don't think they can even have that, they can, no, they can, they can just sit there and smile. Oh, they have hash browns. There you go. There we go.
1: (laughs) All right, Lauren. Well, we don't want to keep you for too much longer, but we just will have one last question for you. So uh, on our podcast, we have uh, the only recurring segment on our podcast is called Stirring the Pot. Stirring the Pot. (laughs) So uh, we like to take the opportunity to talk about a uh, controversial food topic Uh, Where this one's not too controversial, we kind of just, we kind of geared it more towards biscuit belly. Yeah. So, would you rather eat an overcooked biscuit or an undercooked biscuit?
2: An undercooked 100% of the time biscuit. I mean, half the people like their biscuits a little doughy on the inside anyways. Mm -hmm. So, why not? And you can heat that stuff up, it'll stay good. Once your biscuit turns hard, there's no coming back from it. Spoken from a person who's, you know, we actually are Frenchie is like day old biscuits because you want a harder biscuit to throw in, um, like French toast style, you dip it in the egg batter and throw it on the grill. Um, But without all that goodness on it, it's no (laughs) bueno.
0: Yeah, I was on the side of an overcooked biscuit, but you kind of just influenced me a little bit. Uh, That's what I'm
2: here to do because I'm a biscuit I, well, influencer. there you go go figure
0: um <laughs> yeah I feel like you know, now that you say you kind of get more of the flavor inside of an undercooked biscuit, you're not really overdoing it too much uh Will they get overcooked either So I mean yeah you kind of sold me I'm, okay. I'm kind of on your side now I'm, yeah I guess you did your job there I appreciate that.
2: That's what I'm here for. <laughs> yeah, I think
1: I would have went for the undercooked myself. You know, I I, I like the idea, though, of that kind of the, the day-old biscuit, because it's interesting, especially for a sandwich or something like that. It really yeah. helps keep the consistency together.
2: Yeah, for sure. Well,
1: All right, Lauren. Well, thank you for joining us today. And we want to give you this opportunity to plug, promote anything you want yeah. to. So the floor is yours.
2: Yeah. Biscuit Belly, we're in uh, New We're in St. Matthews and in Colonial Gardens. For little who don't know where Colonial Gardens is, that is across from Iroquois Park. We also have a site in Evansville, Indiana. So a lot of I know kids go to school there. Uh, from Louisville, people are there a lot for soccer you know, events and things like that. So um, definitely just trying to plug away there. We are growing, so our, our franchise arm is growing. Like I said, we'll have a couple stores come online. So, depending on where you are, maybe you'll get a biscuit Yeah,
0: I think Boston could use one from, yeah, that'd be, right. pretty sweet. that'd be
2: awesome. Yeah, would
0: be different. Yes, you know, different than just two donut places on every <laughs> block. I mean, let's, let's be real, but exactly. But yeah, Lauren, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate your time and we hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you.
2: Awesome, thanks. Thanks so much, guys.
0: All right, big thanks to Lauren Coulter of Biscuit Belly. Again, the Director of Franchise and Sales and Development for Biscuit Belly. Honestly, it was so cool to see business side of restaurants and you know kind of how restaurants begin i mean we kind of went over that with warren too when we talked to him with modern butcher but it was cool to see someone that's not in the kitchen every day not next to the grill kind of behind the scenes and you know it's interesting what she had to say about franchising and you know maintaining sustained like relationships with her competitors but while also you know trying to get after them and you know, trying to make this capability the best they can be in comparison to them. So, I mean, that was really, it was a cool interview.
1: Right. And, and you got a lot of insight into the employment of people and kind of how businesses start. And, you know, she talked about how their business kind of started during COVID times. And we got into starting businesses in COVID times. And one question we asked that I thought was a really good question was regarding, you know, what if, what are, what if people are afraid to start restaurants or businesses right now, what to do? And, you know, she kind of just said, take the jump, man. You know, just get into it. Do it. Why not? And that's that's kind of how I feel about it, too. You know, just just do it. There's nothing wrong with it. And, you know, of course, we, we had to get our food questions in. I think uh, I think she convinced both you and I that an undercooked biscuit is way better than an overcooked biscuit.
0: Yeah, exactly. Kind of kind of takes away our take of like a medium rare burger, you know. I, I mean, for the amount of times I've been to Biscuit Valley, I've yet to try the fried green tomatoes. And she sold those pretty well. Those sound bomb. You know. brought it up. You,
1: you never had them, and you brought it
0: up. No, <laughs> no. I told. I thought I said that. No, I never had them. I
1: don't know if you did or not.
0: Well, I to just, check the tape. I noticed them on the menu, and fried green tomatoes. I'm like, ah, I don't know. I mean, I don't eat tomatoes. Tom Brady doesn't eat tomatoes. I don't eat tomatoes. That's that's what I say. But I mean, the the menu concept is crazy good, and you know, huge fan of biscuit belly. I go there all the time that I'm down here. And, um, so it kind of led me to think of asking you this bill, what are your favorite breakfast foods?
1: I've been eating a lot of French toast recently at breakfast. I feel like a lot of people like eggs and stuff for breakfast and don't get me wrong. I think eggs definitely have their spot in the breakfast world. For Mm -hmm. me, I really like a sweeter breakfast. I mean, I eat a bowl of cereal every morning. Usually a Honey Nut Cheerios or Cinnamon Life or Special Cape Redberry, you know, like a little bit of the sweeter side of things. Usually have a cup of yogurt, uh, you know, granola with it. So my breakfast tend to be more on the sweet side than the savory side, but not to say there isn't savory that needs to exist in the breakfast world.
0: Yeah, See, I'm a big eggs guy at breakfast when it comes to it. I mean, when I go, we mentioned it earlier, the Hidden Pig. Uh, my go-to there, doesn't matter what time of the day, it's the Chicken and Waffles. Because you cannot beat chicken and waffles, and me, I prefer waffles over pancakes, um, in general. But if I had to choose, like another one, it'd probably be steak and eggs. Typical farmer man breakfast, you know, working man's like get your protein in. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I've never really been a big steak and breakfast person, just because mostly because I I like a cheap breakfast. The one thing I really like about breakfast is usually how inexpensive it is. And then when you add steak to the mix, that's when your breakfast bill starts to creep a little bit higher than I like.
0: What's well, something my dad makes? I mean, yeah. I, I mean,
1: remember,
0: remember when I brought up eggs in the basket? Sure. It was the, it was sure. So no. um, So it's, I,
1: yes, sure the means toast yes. with
0: the circle and you put the egg in the circle. And yeah. So I, it, it's really good with that because when you crack the yolk with the steak, it, what's it what's it it runs there we go it runs into the toast so you're like are you a big like yolk with your toast guy
1: no No, i usually get my eggs either fried or uh, scrambled
0: yeah we've had this conversation but probably steak and eggs or chicken and waffles for me would probably be like my two go-tos if i had the choice i mean i eat cereal every other day anyway so i mean go figure
1: i know one thing if we're going to talk about a savory side of breakfast though Home fries. Mm. I love a good fucking home fry.
0: And we talked about this too. I'm more on the hash brown side.
1: Yeah, we have talked about this. But yeah, I, I, there's just nothing like a good, good home fry. I mean, my dad makes phenomenal home fries. They're crispy off the grill, good flavor, good seasoning. You know, and you'll get those occasional, like pretty generic standard. They just throw it in the uh, fryer and they come frozen home fries. And those aren't bad too. I actually really like those. I, Worked at a breakfast restaurant and talking, you know, talking with Lauren today really made me reminisce on some of those times working at a breakfast restaurant it really makes me miss some of those things. But yeah, I don't know. I think I think for me, an ideal world, I had to like close my eyes and envision the perfect breakfast. Fat plate of French toast, drenched in syrup, powdered sugar, butter with uh, a side of
0: home fries. Are you big berries with your French toast guy? I like berries with my French toast. It's
1: not a requirement, but I definitely do like it.
0: I see a lot of people eat like raspberries and blueberries with it. So I mean,
1: yeah, I think that that definitely helps. I don't think it's necessary though.
0: Are you a big corned beef hash guy?
1: So my school's dining hall used to serve corned beef hash. That was disgusting. (laughs) So it really turned me off from it. So I'm going to have to say no.
0: Interesting. I mean, not, I mean, I'm, My dad's a chef, don't get me wrong. I like to think I do a pretty good job. I make a pretty bomb corn beef hash.
1: I don't know if I've ever really had a good one. I have none that really stand out to me, but it's not something I'm clamoring for every time I see it.
0: I mean, I grew up in a very Irish Catholic household. So, I mean, it was kind of like a staple almost every other weekend. But my big problem with it is I put way too much paprika in it. Because once you chop it all down, throw some onion in there, you you have a little chop mixer, you mix it all up. And I usually use red pepper and paprika. And I tend to put way too much paprika on it. And it gets a little too hot, a little too spicy, but I kind of like it that way nowadays anyway. So, and again, I'm a sunny side egg up guy. So I will usually have toast with it and the egg will kind of run into my corned beef hash. So if you think that's disgusting, that's on you. I don't think it's disgusting, but I think it's pretty bomb. So that's just me.
1: And although you do not have this during breakfast, we still are going to give it to you. Kyle, give the people their dessert.
0: All right, everybody, as always, we'd like to thank you for listening again. Please like, rate, share the pod with those you feel inclined to. We're hungry. We know you're hungry. We all got to eat. So let's eat. Thank you guys for listening. As always, a disclaimer, our dads are chefs. We know what we're talking about. Thank you guys.